Open your Bibles to Isaiah the prophet, chapter 6. I'm going to be reading in just a few moments uh, that beautiful and powerful passage of Scripture from Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. I invite you for just a few moments to bow your heads with me as we enter into God's presence for a time of prayer. Our God, we are mindful today that you are so sensitive to our needs, that you know our needs before we ask. We think about Jesus being aware when the woman touched the hem of his robe. And we thank you that you're so sensitive and so tender and so caring. And today we lift up to you those whom we care about and love who are struggling with illness, with grief, with family problems. We lift up to you those serving in the armed forces. We lift up to you our mission partners for the hungry and the homeless, for the war ravaged, for the leaders of our nations to find ways of peace, for peace within our own borders, for reconciliation among peoples and races and groups. We pray today for the beginning of the school year, that you would bless students and their families, teachers, staff, for this new beginning, that it might be rich and good and a beautiful thing. We invite you, God, to touch our hearts now with those things you want to make us aware of at our point of need, both collectively and individually, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And now, if you're able, would you stand as I read aloud from God's word, Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What finally brings change to a person's life? What eventually brings change in a congregation or, for that matter, for any organization? I would suggest that change usually does not come to any of our lives until that which is begins to crumble, until there's pressure and we're forced to change until that which is uh, passes away or begins to be 
uh, no longer useful or productive or helpful. Change usually comes when it's forced on us. The prophet Isaiah experienced something like that because he announces that his ministry began and his worship experience happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah had been king of Judah, the southern kingdom, for 40 years. He had done many wonderful things and the people had grown to depend upon him and that certainty, that that regimented dependability of the things that did not change in their world and now the king is dead. So Isaiah is experiencing personal and national malaise, sort of a national anxiety about the future and a confusion about who they were and and what they were going to do. And in the midst of this, Isaiah was grieving. Think about it. King Uzziah was the only king Isaiah had ever known. Now the king has died. And so while Isaiah is grieving the death of a king, he has an encounter with the king, the king of the universe. He says in one of the verses, my eyes have seen the king, not a king, but the king. And you know, that's true about change, that usually the heart doesn't change by receiving more data and more information. The heart changes when the heart has a fresh vision. Congregations don't change by the uh, uh, avalanche of, of new facts and new data. Usually congregations change when they have a fresh vision of God. When we have a fresh vision of who we're in a relationship with. And by the way, Isaiah also learned something through that crisis that a time of national confusion and calamity is not a time for the people of God to wring their hands and and just give up. A time of national calamity is the opposite. It's an evangelistic opportunity. It's an opening for the people of God to share the good news or to change the imagery to the imagery that Ken introduced earlier in the service. If you're in a ship and the water is choppy, if you're in a ship and you've lost your compass heading, that is not the time to jump overboard. That's the time to reset the compass heading. That's the time to reconfigure the navigation and then hoist your sail and catch the wind of God's Spirit. And that's why worship is so central to all that we are. It is the hoisting of that sail. It is that fresh vision of God And it's the thing that we need to do with more intentionality and more reverence and more openness. The Isaiah experience is profound. The the story goes that the angels, the seraphs, were flitting around and Isaiah saw them and they were chanting in an antiphonal way, a call and response, sort of a surround sound, a stereophonic, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. That's the first thing Isaiah experienced in this worship is the holiness of God. The holiness of God is first of all about his otherness. 
God is not like us. God is not an extension of our wish fulfillment. God is not like us. Someone has very wisely pointed out that the universe needs God, but God doesn't need the universe. We need God, but God doesn't really need us. Except that He has created us in a way that He longs for that personal relationship of love with us. And this might be a good time to remind us, since we're thinking about the holy God, that worship is about God, it's not about us. I might even say that again. Worship is about God, it's not about us. And that means that the appropriate question after worship is not, did I get anything out of worship? The appropriate response after worship is, did God get anything out of worship? Because it's to Him and for Him. And so the angels are flitting about and chanting in an antiphonal way, holy, 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 and then something even more mysterious happens. The pivots, the, the, the capitals, the, the pillars holding up the temple begin to shake and smoke fills the temple. And Isaiah begins to have a worship experience that he did not choose or bargain for. Something is happening to him that is wholly unusual. Have you ever had a worship experience that you didn't call up or expect where God just sort of lovingly blindsides you? Have you ever had an experience where God comes over you in a powerful way? I had one like this once. It was before my call to ministry. It was a Sunday evening. I was at the farmhouse by myself in the backyard. There was a beautiful sunset on that Sunday evening, and I was standing out by Mom's clothesline where she hung clothes to dry. And I'll explain to you young people what that means after the service. (laughs) And all of a sudden, God just came over me. And it was more beautiful than words can describe. I have a feeling that Isaiah was totally surprised at what happened to him. If scholars are correct and Isaiah was a priest, Isaiah may have fallen into the bad habit that you and I fall into, assuming that worship is about us managing God. We would never admit that But deep down we think that worship is about managing God. We come here to present our weekly list of demands. But worship is not about managing God. It is about being open to that unusual experience that is beyond anything we could expect or deserve. It is about being blindsided by grace. Worship should come with a warning label. We should issue asbestos suits when you come in here. Annie Dillard says that uh, ushers on Sunday morning should hand out life preservers and lash us to our pews because we don't know what might happen when the Holy God shows up in worship experience. And when that Holy God 
revealed God's self to Isaiah. Then he became aware of his own sin and filth. And he cries out, verse 5, Woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with filthy lips. And my eyes have seen the king. In other words, I, I probably won't live because I'm sinful and I have seen God. It basically says, I'm toast. I'm toast. I'm a sinner and I'm toast. But he forgot about the grace and mercy of God. Because there's grace and mercy in this worship experience, not just holiness. Someone has wisely said that, yes, God is different from us, but God is not distant from us. And those are two truths that we need to hang on to with equal tension. That God is a God of love. And so to show that, God sends an angel who with tongs takes one of the live burning coals and presses it against Isaiah's lips. Searing heat. A reminder there is never forgiveness without pain. There is never forgiveness from God without suffering. And as followers of Christ, we understand in following Christ that Christ's suffering and pain and death, those were the things that paid for our sins, but there's never forgiveness. There's never reconciliation without that pain and that suffering. And then because of that pain and suffering, there is a cleansing. The angel announced, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. What a beautiful description of worship that is also the pathway to salvation. A vision of God, repentance, confession, cleansing, and then pardon. The path of worship is the same as the path to salvation. Repentance, after a vision of God, repentance, confession, cleansing, and pardon. I remember that boy at church camp, uh, one of my first years as a camp counselor. He'd had a, a wonderful worship and salvation experience at camp, and he, he gave his testimony at the campfire service, and he said, I just feel all washed out inside. And have you noticed worship, serv- worship experience can happen in a temple or in the backyard by a clothesline or at a church camp? God can show up anywhere, and God does. Just feel all washed out inside. This has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed. Your sin has been blotted out. And then immediately, Isaiah hears God ask, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And I don't think he could have heard that until he had first experienced the cleansing of worship. But after he did, he heard that question. Now, are you following this process? It's threefold. First, there's a vision of God. Then there's a vision of self. And then there's a vision of the world. Can we show that slide on the screen? There's a vision of God. He looks up and sees God holy. Then he looks at himself, woe is me, I'm undone. 
And then there's a vision of the world. He sees the brokenness. He sees the need. Now, here's a bit of advice. If worship does not result in us looking around and seeing the brokenness and need around us, then it wasn't really worship. It was just a sham. It was just meeting for a service of self-congratulations that were not like those other people. Worship is only worship if it issues in a burden for the brokenness and the need around us. And when the question was asked, people like to wonder why it's plural. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Verse 8. Verse 7, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's 8. And uh, scholars, some people say, well, that's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But most scholars believe that there was this concept of a divine council, that God was in his courtroom with, with a divine council of angelic beings. And the, the question comes, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Now, play with this for just a moment. Humor me. Let's suppose that Isaiah is so alive with the presence of God after that glorious worship that he's afraid God's going to send one of the angels to do the task and he, he, Isaiah, will be left out and won't get in on the mission. So maybe the way Isaiah said, here am I, send me, was like the third grader who wants to be chosen to lead the class to the lunchroom today And Isaiah standing there going, me, me, here, pick me, pick me, it's me. I want to go. I want to go. And that's the passion that he had for the world because he had fallen in love with God and had a passion for God and understood God's passion for him. Isaiah placed his life in God's hands. That's worship. When we come to a place of placing our lives in God's hands. Did Isaiah know that the task was impossible, humanly speaking? Yes. That's why he trusted God. Do we know that the task before us as First Baptist of Jefferson City is impossible? Yes. But that's all the more reason to place our lives in God's hand and trust Him. For us to set sail. For us to to be open and available to the Spirit. And what if 30 or 50 of us made a commitment to set sail spiritually? What if 60 or 70 or 100 or 200 of us began to take worship very, very seriously. Our private worship time, our small group worship time, our corporate Sunday worship time. What if we came to the place where two, three, four hundred of us just took so seriously what it means to meet the living God? Think what a difference that could make to us and to this community. If we hoisted our sails and caught the wind of God's Spirit. I have a couple of gifts for us in closing this morning. and 
The first gift is a time of silence. A time to just be in God's presence and reflect on what God has said to you and to us. Following a time of silence, the second gift is our response time. When we stand and sing together, we will ask that whatever response is appropriate for you, to come and for the first time receive Christ, or to confess that you've done that, or to, uh, where you are, pray about some issues, turning your life into God's hands, joining this church, whatever it might be. Would you bow for just a few moments, a time of silence, to be in the presence of the Holy One. Amen.